sometimes we project onto our body things that have nothing to do with our body. We have to realize that sometimes what we're feeling, when we think we're feeling ugly, we're really feeling anxious or insecure or blue or sad about something else. Coming up, Ariane talks beauty with Harvard psychologist and author Nancy Edkoff. Next on Change Nation from the first 30 days. As the saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But according to Harvard clinical psychologist Nancy Etkoff, pretty things aren't just nice to look at, but also a crucial element for survival. She has studied the perception of beauty, emotion, and the brain for over 15 years and is the author of the book, Survival of the Prettiest, The Science of Beauty. Nancy is here today on Change Nation to explain some of the science behind beauty, why beautiful things are important, and also to share some tips for changing your look or simply just feeling more beautiful. Nancy, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So I was surprised that there was actually a science behind beauty. And I'm sure some of the listeners will be too. What sort of science is there and what does it tell us about this thing called beauty? Well, there's been a considerable amount of science that's happened just in the past decade or so. I mean, if you looked at a social psychology textbook from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you wouldn't even see the subject of beauty mentioned. It would be as though it didn't matter, um, which, of course, we know it does. And so in the past 10 or 15 years, people have begun to look at what we find beautiful and why, and really to look at the very deep history of beauty, not the recent history um, not, you know, whether beauty was invented in a boardroom. Beauty has mattered from the beginning of time. And so if you look at some of the earliest artifacts, um, they are human adornments. There are 80,000-year-old bead necklaces that have been found. Uh, Paleolithic people wore makeup. Uh, sticks of red ochre have been found with no other purpose than body decoration. So we know that people have wanted to look beautiful, have adorned themselves. And then we look at questions such as, is beauty totally in the eye of the beholder? Does beauty change depending on who is, is looking at the subject? And what we find there is, is surprising. is that there's a great deal of agreement about who is considered beautiful. It's not perfect. There are many individual differences, but there's a surprising degree of agreement across cultures and among men and women. Another very interesting was we looked right at the brain. My colleagues and I did a brain imaging study where we showed young men pictures of beautiful men, beautiful women, and more average-looking men and women. What we found is that parts of the brain's reward system, the ancient reward system that lights up around sexual images, food, drugs, whatever, lit up when men looked at pictures of beautiful women. It seemed to have reward value just to look at people they would never even meet. And so we see that really beauty is an ineradicable part of human nature. We pursue it. We've always pursued it. And every culture really is a beauty culture. I want to talk a little bit more about what men find beautiful versus what women find beautiful. Is there a similarity between the two or are there some clear differences? A lot of similarity, but there are, of course, some differences, and men and women look with a bit of a different eye because we don't want to generalize too much about each sex. People are, are different, but women tend, when they look at pictures of beauty, find them a little less rewarding. You know, they like to look at them, but, for example, in our task, we had people look at pictures before they went into the scanner, and they could press certain keys if they wanted to look at an image longer, press other keys if they didn't want to look at an image at all, 
men would press like crazy to look at the beautiful women and press like crazy to get rid of every other face. <laughs> they just really wanted to stare. Women do this much less. They like looking at images of women. They like looking at images of men. Um, but it's a little less rewarding, and it's a little less uniform. Women will look for other characteristics. Does this look like someone who might be a good companion, a potential good father? They're looking a little more at personality characteristics, at status characteristics, where men make decisions really quickly often in our studies and very much like one another. Nancy, are we attracted to people who look like us physically, who have the same level of beauty? Have you done any research well, behind that? fantasies. Um, they just love thinking about the most beautiful people or particular, all of us have slightly different tastes. Maybe someone likes someone who's dark-haired, someone likes a blonde or whatever. But I think in fantasies, people always want to be with you know the most beautiful person. But in reality, in reality, people are often very well matched on appearance. Um, so someone who, let's say, is a seven will be with a seven, an eight will be with an eight. Um, occasionally, someone who really has outstanding abilities or outstanding wealth. You know, there might be trade-offs of, of beauty against some other characteristics. But for the most part, people marry people with very similar levels of attractiveness to themselves. Here's another question I'm curious about. Are beauty and happiness connected? So is someone who is beautiful typically ranks higher on the general happiness level? It's a very interesting question, and it's actually what led me into studying happiness. Because that to me was a big question. I went through an enormous amount of literature that looked at the social effects of beauty. And there really are advantages to being better looking. Everything from the way teachers will evaluate students to in courts of law, whether someone will get a lighter sentence or be sentenced at all. There are advantages in, the, of course, mating and dating world, in hiring. And I thought, well, with all these advantages, how come someone hasn't asked the big question, are beautiful people happier? And the answer is a surprising, not really. Um, there's not many studies done on this, but the studies that have have shown that anything that there's a very slight difference. Perhaps some people are a little happier, but there's really no evidence that better-looking people have higher self-esteem, less depression, are happier. What would you tell so many women who would give anything to be more beautiful at this stage in their life? Like, what's the core message at this point? Well, the core message is this, really. Um, there are ways to look at beauty. There are visual images we see out there of you know, supernatural beauty, you know, the models, genetic freaks, people who you know, don't really look like anyone else. Women often compare themselves against these images. It's an unrealistic and unattainable goal. And I think it can be, in fact, very depressing for a lot of people. It's the wrong comparison. Those are kind of fantasy images. We also have to realize that there are two ways that we approach beauty. One is just by cultivating our exterior appearance. The other is by cultivating inner qualities that make people really attracted to you and make them fall in love with you. And those qualities have to do with humor, kindness, intelligence, confidence. And confidence is a huge part of beauty, the way that you hold yourself. I would also say to women to think about we often look in the mirror with a very critical eye. We're problem solvers, you know, so if you're having a bad hair day, your eye is going to go right to that hair or to that blemish. We need to retrain ourselves to look in that mirror and look at our strengths and really cultivate and go forward with our strengths. Everyone has something about their appearance they love. They have great hair. They have a great smile. They have a wonderful long neck. They have beautiful fingers. Wherever, flaunted, exploited, go forward with what you're confident in and what are your strengths. People also need to think about celebrating diversity a lot more in appearance. I think we are very heavily influenced right now, not only by our genetic heritage, 
but by the force of media, which really at this point in, in our evolution is a force of sexual selection. They pick out certain images, they're high status, they're copied, they're very narrow. Um, and so we need to be able to support each other in looking at a much more diverse representation of what is beautiful. And certainly evolution does. Evolution very much loves novelty and newness and diversity. Nancy, when, when I hear you say that, it makes me wonder, what would you tell parents to teach their kids about beauty? Would you acknowledge a child who is beautiful? Would you not acknowledge them because they are beautiful and you don't want them to focus on that? What do you think children and, and teenagers need to hear today so that they don't become confused adults? Exactly. You know, if a child is beautiful, um, sure. I mean, I think, of course, you want to say how beautiful your child is, but you also want to make sure that you find out what your child loves to do. What are her or his strengths? What is he or she passionate about? Because that's what life is about. It's about finding your passion, making a difference, having a purpose, having meaning. And you're not going to find that meaning just staring in the mirror. Life is going to be a little easier for you uh, because you're good-looking and people will give you certain advantages, benefit of the doubt. But in order to really flourish in life, you need to really capitalize and work on your strengths, your talents, your passions. And so the only danger for a very good-looking person is really not cultivating other aspects of themselves, expecting things to be so easy. And, of course, beauty fades somewhat, and so it may be kind of false expectations. Also, I think a danger for very beautiful kids is that people have certain expectations that might not be true. People project a lot onto beautiful people. They expect a lot. For the less beautiful kids, I think that you parents need to look honestly with their children and think, you know, what is beautiful about my child? What, what makes him or her feel beautiful? Again, what are her beautiful features? Don't give an empty compliment. No one believes it. No kid that, you know, believes it. Also, again, think with them what they love to do, what they're good at, what their strengths are, and really focus on the whole person, not just how they look. And it's very hard because a lot of, you know, especially media towards teens is really oriented around appearance. And then teens themselves naturally gravitate that way. They're exploring. Their bodies are changing. They're very interested in the opposite sex. There's a lot of social comparison, a lot of in-and-out groups, an awkward age. And so it's helpful to be able to listen to teens, to be empathic with them, to let them know that the feelings are natural, whether good or bad, you know, to help them explore Pick out pictures for themselves. How do they feel about them? When do they feel they look good? Look at the media they're exposed to. Help them deconstruct it. They're kind of fake images. Help them to see what's fun and glamorous and real and versus what's real and attainable. So I think there's a lot that parents can do. Interestingly, in a study that I was involved in, we looked at influences on girls and women of different sources. One was media, one was parents, one was other girls and women, boys. And what we found is that the girls who had the highest self-esteem and the most positive body image said that their earliest and strongest influence was their mothers, so that mothers could have a very positive impact. Girls who found that um, other girls, girlfriends, were their strongest influence actually had lower body image and lower self-esteem. There's a lot of competition among girls and often not enough support. Nancy, is there a typical age where us women tend to finally accept who we are and what we look like? Do we ever reach that yeah, age? I, I think often uh, as women get older, they get more confident in their appearance. And because they feel more authentically themselves, they worry less about it. Um, but, you know, even among women, 40, 50, 60, 
often you still see some insecurity about appearance. You know, I think people hold themselves against this ideal of perfection, and it's unattainable. So I don't know if there's an age when people really get to a strong comfort level, but it does rise with age. I mean, I think it really is at, ironically, it's often at its lowest when other people look on and say, God, what a gorgeous teen or 20-year-old or 30-year-old. And often that's the point of greatest insecurity. And people look back, there's some wonderful lines from Nora Ephron, where she says, if only I hadn't wasted all that time thinking how bad I looked in a bikini, I looked amazing if I could only look that way now. So often when we look our best, it shows you the, um, the skewed perspective we have on ourselves. Um, we often feel the least confident. Why is it that men seem to feel more attractive in general? I mean, I've met my share of men who think they're very attractive. <laughs> it's so true. Um, you have made an astute observation. Well, first, I think all people tend to have, you know, what we call positive illusions. We all tend to think we're better than average. Now, how can we all be better than average? So we all tend to have a kind of optimistic slant about ourselves. Men have this more than women in general. And women have at least around their, you know, appearance, but also around other issues as well. Men, I think, feel less pressured. Um, there's less points of comparison, although there's more now, much more now, um, in terms of comparing themselves against you know, these, these gorgeous images that are out there. There's been less of that on men. And I think, in general, they often do have just more of these positive illusions about themselves. Nancy, I want to get super practical. If you're feeling ugly for absolutely no reason at all, mm -hmm. how do you snap out of it? <laughs> well, you have to think, why are you feeling ugly? You know, and it can be, sometimes we project onto our body things that have nothing to do with our body, right? So you could have the same size as you had yesterday when you felt perfectly good about them. And you're like, oh, and you have to get up and you give a talk and all of a sudden you're feeling very anxious and you're like, God, my legs are so heavy. So we have to realize that sometimes what we're feeling, when we think we're feeling ugly, we're really feeling anxious or insecure or blue or sad about something else. So a lot of what we project onto our body is about other emotions. Another way is to look in the mirror, be fearless and say, stop the critical look. What do I like? Reverse how we usually look. Don't go right in for the problem spots. Look at what you like about yourself and how to make it even better. Um, think about who are you comparing yourself to? What does ugly mean? Ugly and compared to, to who? And I'd say also that it depends on, you know, how pervasive this problem is. If someone's walking around thinking I'm ugly all the time, I would suggest they may be suffering from, you know, at least a mild case of depression or maybe even the beginnings of body dysmorphic disorder. So, I mean, I think most people don't walk around feeling ugly most of the time. So I would, I would worry about that person. What is the typical thing that you found that most people want to change about their looks? Most people, uh, when they make a change about beauty, about appearance, often simple things. And what's really interesting is that often people will mull these over for very long periods of time. So it can be they want to get in shape. They want to lose weight. That's a very frequent one. Get healthy, get in shape. Um, they want to change There's something about their hair, their hair color, their hair style. They want to go gray. They've been dying it. They want to become a blonde. They were always thinking of being a blonde. These are things that people do all the time. A lot of times people just want to do a bit of a makeover. They want to just change their style a little bit. They're not sure why. They don't really like it. And often changes in appearance will go in lockstep with other changes in life. So we see even in tribal cultures from the beginning, when people change something significant in their life, they would mark that on their body or with what they wore, scars, tattoos, clothes that they would wear, hair that they would shave off. People often mark transitions in life into marriage, childbirth, into adolescence, into widowhood, whatever, with actually changing their body. 
And so if you talk to, as I do, cosmetic dermatologists, hairdressers, cosmeticians, they always say that people come in and they're making a change. It's often accompanying another change. I just got a new job. I had a baby. I just got divorced. Whatever it is, I've just moved. They mark it somehow physically, and that change is their way of helping themselves make another transition, which I think is quite interesting. Do you recommend anything permanent for people to change their looks? How, how do you fare on that question? Oh, on the question of, for example, plastic surgery or whatever, um, I, you know, I'm kind of agnostic on the whole question. My, my feeling is this, is that people can do whatever they like. Um, I think people, if they feel pressured to do so, if it comes from a place of self-hatred or self-dislike, clearly that's really a problem. I feel that people have the choices to make, and I'm not pro or con. I think I'm pretty neutral on that subject. So one of the things I'm hearing, too, is that there are actually advantages to changing your look just beyond feeling more beautiful. You actually might attract a new job or a new sense of self-worth, which might bring you a better-paying environment. Oh, yes, I think exactly. I mean, I think there are a lot of advantages to thinking about how you feel about yourself, your body, the way you're presenting yourself. It's not strictly beauty. It's really about your whole demeanor. And and so people will often say, you know, I just really want to take the next step. And often appearance makes someone feel more comfortable. One of the poorest correlations is between how other people see you and how you see yourself. It's very interesting. People, very similar in their judgments, looking at photographs. But as soon as they talk about themselves, they're really different. We have very personal, personal notions about our appearance. And so if you're feeling less confident, sometimes just doing something about your appearance gives you that extra little shield, that armor, that sense of confidence going out there that then leads to other things. So let's talk first 30 days. For people listening who are inspired and are hearing and loving what we're saying, they want to start tomorrow. They want to commit to changing their look and overall just building their self-esteem. What do they do? How do they get started? What does it look like? Okay. Well, I would say at the beginning, they should just check some of their attitudes and assumptions about beauty. Uh, What are they going in with? Um, Do they want to get rid of some of the baggage um, that they may have around beauty and about accepting that it's okay to play with their appearance, that it's going to be an interesting and fun challenge, that um, they can take the time out a little bit to do this? Um, and that they're going to stop looking at themselves just with that critical eye. They're going to look at this in a very positive light. They're going to need to, I think in the first 30 days, really get some support from other people and stay away from the people who are not supportive of it because obviously some friends may really support it, some may not. Some may like, what are you doing, or making them feel self-conscious about it. They need people around them that are going to help them through this. And they're going to need to have you know, a plan of what they're going to do. Let's say you want to change your look. How do you go about doing that? Look in the mirror. You need someone to help you. Either a friend comes with you or you shop around for the right person, whether it's the person who's going to help you with your hair or your weight or your clothes. You go into a store or you go into a salon. You don't like what the person is saying. Walk out. You need to really start to own your appearance. A lot of people are very intimidated by people in stores, by people in hair salons. Don't be that way. Think about it. Go through magazines or watch people. Think what you want to do and then go in and find the person who's going to help you do that. Sometimes with clothes, something that that helps people is go through your closets. This is really practical. Go through your closets. Make a big pile of everything you don't wear. Take a look at it. 
think what mistakes you made and don't buy those kinds of things anymore. Look at what your favorite clothes are even still. What do you want to do? How do you want to tweak that or change that? So come up with a plan of, of what you want to do, what you're comfortable with, what, what is you, authentically you, and what feels like, ah, maybe, maybe it's attractive on someone else, but it's not you. And then kind of monitor yourself as you go through and see, and see what's working for you and what isn't. I have another question just popped into my head. Is there any science behind how people wear color and how they're perceived as being beautiful? Are people who wear black more or less beautiful? I mean, hmm. I live in New York City, so yes. there's a lot of people who wear black here. I know. Well, I think black has just taken over. You know, I think that's a lot of, you know, in fashion is just about wanting to be a member of the tribe, you know, and wanting to look like, give it a sense of your identification. I'm, I'm a person who wears black. I'm, I'm an urbanite. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a, so I think our clothes aren't just about beauty. They really are about saying this is who I am and this is what I identify with. Um, so we see color this spring. The spring has been a big fashion year for, for color. I don't know if people are going to buy it or not. It'll be very interesting to see. Um, but traditionally, of course, colors are very stimulating. I mean, people have really turned away from wearing bright colors. They tend to wear black is easy. It looks good on most people. You can adorn it. You can put jewelry. You can do whatever you want with it. But colors are very stimulating. Red is an extremely stimulating color. It's a sign of you know, blood and fire engines and, and all kinds of flesh cheeks. And it's a very sexual, very arousing color. Um, women have really shied away from it. It's a color of, you know, boldness and sexuality. Um, other colors are softer and, and um, arouse more kind of sweet and calming emotions. But we've, uh, we've gotten away from it into a kind of a darker uniform. Nancy, in all the research that you've done, what was the most surprising thing that came up that you probably weren't expecting? A couple of things were very surprising for me in the research. One was looking at how kind of pervasive uh, the pursuit of beauty has been. I thought it was, but then when I dug in very deeply, I was, I was very impressed with some of the evidence. For example, that babies just a few days old will stare longer at faces that adults have raised as attractive. So even they are little beauty judges. You know, it's, it's right there from the beginning. Uh, which I found very fascinating to see how deep its roots went, um, to look at really what beauty signals, which really is um, at the base health, uh, fertility, you know, very basic biological properties that we're looking at. So, of course, one great avenue into beauty is health. So if you want to look good, you can do nothing better for yourself than taking good care of yourself, drinking water, eating the right foods, exercising, The glow of health is one of the major biological purposes of beauty in a way to signal that. And so that was also very interesting to me. The relation between beauty and happiness, I think, was also surprising to me in that the arrow goes in a different direction. If someone is already happy or has high self-esteem, they will tend to see themselves as good-looking. They tend to like their appearance, and they tend to do more to enhance their appearance. But people who are good-looking aren't necessarily happy. So we go from sort of a good sense of self to a sense of beauty and a confidence which then inspires others to see you that way rather than from just being naturally good-looking to happiness. Nancy, the way we end off all our interviews here at Change Nation is to ask all our experts the same three questions Mm -hmm. that actually have nothing to do with your subject area. They're more about life and about change, which is what we stand for. So here they are. They're very quick. Mm -hmm. What is the belief that you personally go to during times of change? The belief that I go to is that I am strong and resilient, that I have support, and that I will come out the other end. 
Fill in the sentence. The best thing about change is... It's exciting and it brings with it discoveries. And what is the best change that you have ever made? Well, one of the best changes I ever made uh, was to quit a perfectly good job to start writing a book. That's a lovely one. Nancy, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure listening and hearing all your wisdom and the research on this wonderful subject of beauty. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to be here. For more information on Nancy and her work, please pick up her book, Survival of the Prettiest, The Science of Beauty. You've been listening to Change Nation, a show from the first 30 days. For more interviews with a variety of experts, please come and visit us at first30days.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from the first 30 days. Please visit us on iTunes in the Society and Culture podcast section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the First 30 Days Incorporated. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved.